0: Sluts and Scholars.
1: Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta.
0: (laughs) And I'm Simone. And this week we're joined by Emily Saldea, and she... Basically, founded, started is the Free Birth Society, which is an underground movement of people reclaiming their autonomy through pregnancy, childbirth, and parenthood. Emily says there's more to childbirth than the formulated, generic, and regulated care that the public receives. She created the Free Birth Society as a lighthouse, a safe space for exploration, curiosity, and owning our choices by looking at viable alternatives, actual evidence, and ancient wisdom. She witnessed and supported births in every environment, from hospitals to birth centers to homes to out. Outside to cars, Emily hopes to redefine birth as a transformational yet physiologically normative experience. She leads with the question, what could children of this next generation look like if they grew from mothers who felt powerful, respected, and encouraged to take accountability for their health? Welcome, Emily.
1: Wow, the bios just get more and more
0: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. So throughout the episode, we will be referring to both pregnant women and pregnant people because we recognize that not only women get pregnant, just a note on our language. So
1: tell us a little bit about what you're... Day looks like in teaching this stuff. Yeah, we're
0: so excited to have you because we talk about fucking a lot, but we don't always talk about the consequences of fucking. And so <laughs> exactly. I feel
1: I feel like talking not about not that birth always has to be a consequence no, of it, but it doesn't yes, have to, it is an, an one,
0: option. The same way that we could also talk about, you know, STIs as a consequence right. of fucking, so is birth. I'm just talking about the <laughs> same thing to me. Um, I'm like, no, 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 don't say <laughs> not getting pregnant. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, what do you do? Yeah.
2: So Free Birth Society is a, essentially a brand that I started about a year and a half ago that was mostly in the beginning, just a Facebook group, a secret Facebook group. Um, and then this podcast that I run, the Free Birth Podcast. And so it really just started with that, with my intention to begin networking all these women that I have heard about or met who are all birthing outside the system, but not really talking about it. And they're there hasn't until our groups and and what we're working on, there really hasn't been public forums that are networking these women around the world. And so what started with like 20 women in our Facebook group is now 3,200. And oh, wow. women are, yeah, they're really flocking to this whole concept. And so what I do in a day is anything from um, private sessions. So I do a lot of private ses- sessions that are, one of two things. Usually they're free birth prep sessions. So when I say free birth, I mean birthing outside the system, um, meaning that a woman yeah, is choosing to- Yeah, what is outside to- the
0: system? What is the
2: system? Yeah. What is the system? We're in it. Uh, this system is obstetrical care, which is the default monopolized you know, model of care that it is assumed we will all engage in when we conceive. Um, but I also would include regulated midwifery, um, meaning midwives who are licensed, which is m- most midwives that mm-hmm. we've ever met or talked to, or and hear they have regu- they have um, different because-
1: regulations that are limiting.
2: Oh, quite limiting. Yeah, they're 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 like uh, paper handcuffs. They really are. They. Um, I mean, in California, for example, a home birth midwife who carries a license is not allowed to attend a birth if the baby's um, head is up, meaning a breech position, if uh, the mama is carrying past 42 weeks, if she goes into labor before 37 weeks, if uh, her waters have been open for over 24 hours without significant labor, um, then she's uh, agreed by her licensing to transfer her client. So what's, what's problematic about that? Exactly, to, to an OB um, for more assistance. So this is a huge conversation, but the, the nutshell version of, of this is that when you are birthing within this system that has preset uh, rules and regulations of what you as the pregnant woman can and cannot do, there's no space for individualized care. And in birth, which is one of the most highly individualized experiences that we have, um, it can not only be traumatic emotionally, but it can be, it can be very dangerous for the birthing Mm. process. So,
1: I mean, I know lots of people who who do it with the midwife and have it, you know, like they have a doctor, another person or a hospital on call. Like at what point do you think they should go that route? Like, is there ever an emergency thing where you feel like the system should be used? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The system, so what, what hospitals are good for
1: mm-hmm. and what doctors are
2: good for is emergencies. And so in cases of emergencies, um, that's a wonderful, incredible option that we have in a developed, you know, first mm-hmm. world. So, yeah. um, birth though, inherently birth is not an emergency. And yeah. that's one of the biggest fundamental myths, you know, in, in, in our culture. Yeah. Um, I
0: really agree with that. Which I, takes, I don't know if you saw that um, SNL sketch that came out with Amy Schumer for the Mother's Day, where, mm-mm. I don't know if, you, okay, so basically there's an SNL sketch, and it's Amy Schumer was the host uh, for the weekend of Mother's Day, and it's all about the day you were born, and she's talking to her child, and then... Um, it cuts back to like the day and she's like screaming and it's in a hospital and it's horrible and she's bright red and is, she's like, I'm gonna shit, I'm gonna shit, am I shitting? And they're like, you're shitting and the, do- the husband's like, I can never see you again the same way. It's like really fucked up and like that is the image of birth that like so many of us have if we haven't thought to question it. Yes, that's what I think when I well, think Well,
2: and, and actually, let me, let me correct that to say that is the image everyone has when they're growing up if they are ever watching TV or movies or you know a- anything, even if you're on a farm, like if you're exposed to TV, that is the image of, of birth. birth almost exclusively. You know, so is there any so mainstream? Really,
0: can you think of any mainstream example which doesn't present birth like that? I can't.
2: No. No. I can't no, off because the top even and I had high hopes. I had high hopes for that girls episode when um hurt when it was like Adam's sister was going to birth at home unassisted. Uh huh. And that was exciting. I was like, okay, Lena Dunham, like I love you, I trust you and your content, and totally ruined it. It yeah. was awful. It was all, yeah. you know, emergency. And and yeah, it's really she, sad. I mean, that's she's a whole been other Disappointing you know? sometimes. Yeah, she disappointed oh, right. me when she yeah, didn't have an abortion has.
0: at the end of it. <laughs> right, I was like, right, 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 right. Girl, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway. Well, I
2: know. But you say that much, so you put that much content into the public eye. You're gonna say some dumb shit. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. A good point.
1: We're on our way to saying dumb shit. I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> if we <laughs>
2: haven't already, we are recording right now. Yes, exactly. So oh, what, anyway, but so just to, to wrap up the the when I say outside the system. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, free birth, which is what um, what I am committed to supporting and building, and what I did myself with my child, and and you know what I'm interacting with all the time is women who become aware of. This monopolized system, this assumed system, which is obstetrical care, which, like I said, includes, in my opinion, licensed midwives because... They have to follow all these rules and regs that very often force them to abandon their clients, whether before their labor has begun or during, um, or else it's their ass on the line. Mm. And they can get in trouble, which is, side note, an incredible way to pit women against women,
0: yeah. um,
2: which is a whole nother conversation that is super. I mean, like in Arkansas, you know, they just, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they just passed a law that licensed midwives half- to give two pre, uh, prenatal vaginal exams to their clients. So the woman is not allowed to decline. So um, that is— how, What, is, that a, is, what sta- is a vaginal
0: prenatal exam? Like, like what a transvaginal ultrasound oh, um, or like a—, like no, a no, no, fingers no, no,
2: no. Uh, with hands. With hands. Yeah. A cervical exam. So the idea of it, and it's totally not based in evidence, and it's completely horrific— um, but the idea is this outdated idea that um, you can somehow determine if a pelvis is big enough to pass a baby with a, um, with pelvimetry, with a uh, pelvic exam. So that's, uh, yeah, two fingers inside and moving all around. But but the, the, it's not a problem if a woman's cool with that. The problem right. is that Arkansas and Arizona are two states in our country today that require if women want a birth at home, that midwives have to insert their fingers into their vagina <laughs> multiple times. It's so
0: interesting how those states are super obsessed with inserting, with like requiring women to have things inserted into their vaginas when they happen to be pregnant. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, all states are. It's like, want an abortion? Gonna part. do this. Want to have your baby? Gonna do that. It's like, get the punish, fuck punish, out of my punish. pussy. <laughs> fuck. Well, and it's, it's what, what <laughs> it's it so needs bad. to be called what it is. Sorry
2: if
1: I blow out your sound. I know. Door. <laughs> I mean but what, what so where is, does this come from though? Is this just the- a patriarchal thing of how OBG was created? This
2: is, I mean, those specific things are beautiful examples of punishing women who are dissenting, Mm. you know, who are withdrawing from the system, and they're saying, fuck you, we're still going to make the rules, which is why licensed midwifery is, why I'm adamantly against it. I don't think that should be a thing. I do not support it. I think it causes way more harm than good, Um, and it's a false Mm. sense of legitimacy. Um, But anyway, but so... Yeah. When, when you, when you really dig into, and it's not hard when you really start learning about the history of obstetrics and that it is literally created on abuse and rape and how that is still being, um, Perpetuated in every birth and captivity. You know, Mm -hmm. that you don't, you don't get out of it. When you walk into the doors of a hospital, um, you are still expected. The entire model is built on submission. You know, even if it wasn't a birth thing, even if, you know, my husband had appendicitis one time and we went in and it's just assumed that we are there to submit to their, you know, plan, which again, in an emergency, makes perfect sense. But in a normal you know, experience like birth, which happens all the time, all always the time. has, always will, you know, it, it, that is not inherently an emergency. And so the the irony is when you walk in through those doors and you receive, you know, and you are the victim of all of these interventions, mm-hmm. and they're not practicing informed consent, they're not practicing, you know, legal rights, right? To refusal, yeah. then the disruption of your hormonal, you know your hormonal blueprint, you know, the whole physiological Birth sequence that is meant to unfold for optimal protection, right? Because birth is meant to work in the woods. Yeah. It really, really is, and yeah. it does. Yeah. You know, it's only been moved, you know. So,
1: yeah, It's just it's the whole only thing is moved. just so. It,
0: you alluded to the origins of obstetric care um, as rooted in abuse. I was wondering if you could give us like an abridged version of the history of obstetrics, of modern obstetrics. And what yeah, you mean, I mean by, I can, by yeah, originating? I can do, yes,
1: history of obstetrics in five minutes. One, one <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I guess too. I will just. I want. I can. I will point out a couple of, of big things that because it's it's a big it's a big puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and obstetrics didn't necessarily start here. I mean, physicians were being trained in England and they were coming over here in the early, um, about a hundred years ago. Um, and so, but we have to actually go back a little bit further because. In the seventeenth, you know, century and eighteenth, when everyone, when, when the women were wearing corsets, women literally started to become disfigured. Literally, you know, mm-hmm. our pelvises, our hips changed, our 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 rib cage changed, and so birth was really painful, and, and that's also, and you know, so and s- yeah, totally. And so then, mixing that with that's also when men started to, um, you know, like become. I don't actually know the year when doctors became a a thing in society, but we're moving along this timeline where, obviously, we know it was super oppressive for women in the 17th, 18th century, and there's physicians starting to come about um, in about 100 years ago. We now have hospitals. Yeah, and so it's just gosh, there's so much to this because early, early wave feminism. When when hospitals came about, there was this uh, cultural narrative for women of, we don't have to feel the pain of childbirth anymore. I'm empowered. I'm a feminist. Right. I can go get my drugs in the hospital. But that's why we have to it. go a little bit. That happened later. Yeah, oh, that sorry. happened in the more like 50s, um, 60s and into the 70s. And it's actually still used today. But mm-hmm. um, But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that Really, this shit all goes back to Eve's curse. Like, really, this goes back to Christianity and to the mass, you know, masses of white men believing that birth is meant to hurt women because we are a inferior, you know, species that needs to be punished. And, yeah, and so then, you know, with the corset thing, which is funny, is the corset thing's never talked about, but that was actually a very uh, big contributing factor to to our um, path here. So Which is interesting because a
1: lot of people the, uh, do corset training now for themselves. Yeah, but not when they're pregnant. Not when they're pregnant. But, I mean, you you do have to wonder, like, why they want to. Is, like, can we honestly mm-hmm. say that is a unencumbered, unaffected desire, or is it a cultural thing that we think we are supposed to do to look better?
0: Corset well, training? Well, right. I yeah. mean, you
2: can apply
1: like you could argue you I'm can doing apply this because I want to do it and I'm consenting to do corset training because it's what I want, but can we really say it's what we want?
2: No. That's exactly what I say about ultrasounds. Women all the time say, oh, no, I wanted that. That was my choice. And if you really start to apply a critical eye to it, that exact question you just posed, you know, you have to really sit with that. If the norm is to blast your fetus you know, with with technology that's never been proven safe, that has been proven to harm, you know, healthy cells. I don't know how much you guys know about ultrasounds, but no, it's super not as much as you do. Is, yeah, this is that this is the norm. But then, you know, women, even women I work with who are having unassisted pregnancies, will still go in for this twenty week ultrasound, and they think it's um, They really feel it's the responsible that thing to do. It, and that it's their choice, but it like you just posed, if the whole cultural narrative is, of course, you get an ultrasound because it's the responsible thing to do. Well, then where's really our? I mean, we have no free will anyway. Like yeah, when a, I when a, I know, think of the idea, on a larger, <laughs> if I ever
1: have kids, if I think of the idea of like not having an ultrasound, that would feel very irresponsible. Mm. Um, I like that you called it yeah. um, birthing in captivity. Um, that's yeah. like a, mm-hmm. such a powerful metaphor. Like I think of a, a zoo. Um, And what are some of the things that you feel like are forced upon us culturally that aren't needed?
2: (laughs) I mean, literally everything that happens from when you leave the house is not uh, beneficial to a physiological birth. Now, if you want your baby cut out of you, then, you know, there's a reason to go to the hospital. If you want to be induced... Um, for whatever reason, you know, if those are your choices and that feels good to you, okay, great. But obviously what I'm here today to talk about is Not how this all choices. came to be and, and normal birth. I did want to just say one last thing about the history of obstetrics because yeah. it's really interesting is the other big piece. So, so this early wave feminism thing starts coming in um, where they're like, yeah, give us the drugs. But then also what's happening is a Hugely successful propaganda scandal across the nation. And it's in the 1910 to 20s, but really it carries on well to today. And you can look online and see these ads, and they were very well funded by these white male physicians who had come over from England. They wanted work, they wanted to get birth in the hospital. Um, And so these these advertisements have a picture of a white man in a lab coat, you know, with like some instrument in a operating room or a nice room. And then it has the next, next to it, it has this nasty witch woman dressed in cloaks with a wart and a bottle of rum. And that's supposed to be the midwife. And it literally says, yeah. And it literally says, um, you know, where would you feel safe for having a baby? Midwives are drunk, they're uneducated, um blah blah, blah blah. So wow. this is even before any regulation of midwifery. And so there was a very intentional disempowerment of midwifery and getting very intentionally getting birth out of the home and into the hospital for the gain, for financial gain.
0: It wasn't because and to take women the, were donorship women. so this is a uh, patriarchy and capitalism in action. I mean, I think <laughs> I've I don't know if I've just been brainwashed
1: to think that there were more deaths during birth before we had modern medicine, but I think that that's something mm-hmm. that we all learn like is that false? like because I when I think of it, I just so, think of like, okay, this was created um, so that we totally, have more moms living. Us. You know, like we, we see totally. a lot of early so, deaths for young children and young mothers so, back in the day before we had just, modern medicine. Yeah.
2: So there's two, there's two things here. So we all have that cultural narrative that women were dying in droves and, you know, the doctor, the doctor comes into our culture and saves everybody. That mm-hmm. is deeply, deeply, deeply embedded in all of our brains. Yeah. So what is true is that, yes, 100 years ago in American history— there was a higher, mostly a higher rate of hemorrhaging, but almost always in that data, it is women attended by men. So this is what's so interesting. It gets really, really, really interesting. So yes, there was postpartum hemorrhaging in, in some women were dying from postpartum hemorrhaging in a way that they do not die today. That mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and we today and you guys probably know this but we have one of the highest maternal and infant death rates in a first world country yep. in the world
0: yep
1: really so we are losing see i yes. didn't know that so yeah They're so doing that's a good huge job thing of thing brainwashing me because i was like oh it must be so low now right
2: well mm. that's where that's where this, the numbers get a little tricky because i do think that we're losing less women now than we were but we're still losing way more than we should be and what yeah. is often killing our moms today is systemic racism in the system
0: yeah don't so, black women have and, a, and repeat aren't black women dying in childbirth at four times the rate of white women and their babies and their babies and why why do we uh-huh. think why is that
2: racism systemic intentional racism so
0: like women not of color saving who are them in on purpose no, exactly.
2: no 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 that they're given less choices. They're given shittier care. Okay. They are treated as disposable. Their requests they're not treated, are not believed. They don't, uh-huh. We have, for the nonprofit that I run in LA, we provide doulas for women of color. No, I was just going to say that a black woman that we were supporting, pregnant, um, she went in and was having pain. She was not in labor and she was having severe pain. She, they, she was told that she was fine and sent her home. And her baby died, and her appendix ruptured, and the baby died from the infection. And she was not taken seriously, because and that don't could believe, have been prevented.
0: We don't believe the pain. We of don't women. believe
2: black women. Yeah. So we can start recording again, but but the the point of that is there is a long standing racist narrative that white women are more fragile, we're of an upper class, we're more royal and sensitive, and we have a, a lower pain tolerance, and that women of color have a higher pain tolerance. And it's deeply, it's disgusting. And it's deeply embedded in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So it is not because of socioeconomic status. And that's an important thing to understand that took me a while to to really get. Because a black, a rich black woman still has four times of a higher chance of dying and being treated in in ways that will cause her to have complications than a poor white woman.
1: So people just aren't believing when people are saying they know their bodies. Yeah. And people aren't listening. Well, it's not it's
2: not just that. It's also that with systemic and internalized, you know, and abundant racism, when you have the rich white authoritative male doctor and it doesn't matter, you know, first of all, they don't know if the person's rich or not like necessarily, you know, they just know if they're black or not, right? You can see our race. And so they are uh, women like we lost a woman in LA, a black woman a couple of years ago um, from a repeat C-section she did not need, and her husband said they were never given a second option. Um, and you know this happens to white women too. White women are just as not just as, but they are um, heavily abused, manipulated, lied to, not given you know their legal rights. All of that is also true, um, but it just happens more. Basically, what I what I say all the time is is horrible, but it's true. Is America hates women, but they just hate black women more.
0: And that—that's what's
2: true, you know. And, and we're seeing it in the outcomes. And it's—it's it's not only. I mean, is it unacceptable? But as white people, we have to talk about this, and we have to know about this because we are yeah. losing women and mothers and children in who ways that need can to be, be prevented.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, you just so. mentioned that um, you know people who are not. Informed of other options or their legal rights. What are some legal rights that you have as a pregnant person that ends up in a hospital that people don't know or for some reason are unable to exercise? Good question.
2: It's the same, yeah, it's the same legal rights that you have not pregnant, which is the main ones are the right to informed consent and the right to refusal. So the way that the system in this utopian idea is supposed to work, but absolutely does not, is that a patient, a woman or a man or whoever, it doesn't matter if they're pregnant or not, they come into the doctor and they say, this is what's going on. What do you think? Or, you know, what do you think's going on? And then they just trust what the the, other person says. Well, what they're supposed to do and the oath they take is that they're supposed to assess, provide, and support so assess what's going on, provide the information slash their opinion, and then support the patient's decision. Now that does not happen. So this, this again is not specific to birth at all. I mean, my mom had a double mastectomy and never once was told that she didn't need to have reconstruction. You know, once her breasts were cut off, it was just assumed that yes, she would that have she would implants put on top of her wounds. And when she told her doctor that she did not want the implants, he dropped her. He refused to do it. Which is his right, that, he, you know, everyone can practice how they want. Because then he'd be worried but,
1: that she would sue later because she didn't like how they looked or something?
2: No, I think that that's just in his comfort zone, He that he does mastectomy to reconstruction. He doesn't, reconstruction. He yeah. doesn't yeah.
0: yeah, and doesn't— So the, back to he the, wants the with, women with who the, agree. Yeah, it doesn't want to— And I can also see how a, a physician would be like, oh, you're somebody who's going to say no to what I'm telling you to do, then fine, I'm not going to do anything. Danger,
2: danger, danger. Yeah, so the whole he, thing
0: is based on— Go ahead. Yeah, on submission. So with
2: the legal rights, the 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 larger conversation is it doesn't matter what your legal rights are if no one gives a fuck about them. Right. If nobody is there to honor them, protect them. I mean, I cannot tell you how many nurses I have spoken with when I was attending births in the hospital who had no idea— that the patient had these legal rights and so, who actually didn't know that.
0: So for example, you can refuse a C-section. You can refuse to have labor-induced, right? Anything. There's literally nothing you can't refuse. So, like, Literally, what do you there do? is nothing. So yeah, like, but I what, would imagine I think if like you're a in pain is, and
1: are giving birth and are like freaking out in this setting. And some guy is telling advocate, you I need to cut you open. Yeah, and trying to advocate for yourself. Like who is there to advocate for this,
2: you exactly. know, population. And there's this illusion yeah, it's it's and there's an illusion that doulas can do that, and they totally cannot. That's that's not a thing. Doulas are not increasing anyone's agency. We it, it, they're just not powerful enough. They're the least wow. powerful in the room. They're
0: the, so, so you don't think that doulas can help mitigate this uh, advocacy no. issue at all on a, on
2: a real scale. No. I mean, on a small scale, like I have been to births where, you know, the mother's on an epidural. uh, She was uninformed that the epidural was going to make her high as a kite because it has, you know, narcotics in it. So now she's seeing birds in the room and she's super high. And she had already told the doctor that she didn't want an episiotomy when they cut the perineum. It's not needed. It's not evidence-based, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they did an episiotomy in that fucking Amy
0: Schumer sketch. I freaked out. I was so mad that they normalized episiotomies. Anyway, keep going.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's where they yeah. cut well, to ease uh, the birth. But that's the thing. Ep- episiotomies are normal. Like, that's, that's the they thing. Are the norm, you know, yes, they are They've already been. Yeah, yes. but anyway, so this doctor, she had already been very clear, but then he drugged her and because you know, he gave her a boost. He called in for an extra boost without her consent. And then um, I saw him reach for the scissors, and I know which scissors are the episiotomy scissors. I know which ones are the umbilical cord. You know, like, I know what the tray— And this is when you of, were a birth doula— you know, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. This is just an example of, yeah, in that specific birth, I intentionally broke the sterile field um, to stop that from happening, you know, and that was great. Would you, like, uh, not great? out of his hand? You know. Um, no. I put my hand on his wrist. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that incredible said, how something
0: I, as human as putting a hand on someone else's wrist is so fraught in that dynamic of I'm the doctor and you are the doula? Exactly. What did they say when no, you did totally. that?
2: I just I put my hand on his wrist and I said um I said I heard so and so say about an hour ago that under no circumstances did she consent to being cut did something change for you and <gasps> she and I or I no I said did you hear that too and I said it totally sweetly and I touched his wrist very sweetly. I didn't like grab it like, you know, aggressively. Um, but I knew if I broke the sterile field, they would have to reset again and it would, it would, you know, we'd be able to reassess the conversation. Um, you know, and I've been doing this a long time. So I came up with with my tricks of how to do what little part I could to attempt to prevent, you know, abuse. Yeah, but you <laughs> and, just said uh, you anyway,
0: been- so yeah. What? No, you've been doing this a long time, and so you have this skill set, mm-hmm. and you know what's going on. But I read uh, something you say is that pre- planning to give birth is like trying to become an astronaut in 40 weeks, right? So most people don't have the years of experience and the number of births that you've supported and assisted to prepare for their birth. Exactly. So how the fuck are we and, supposed to be able to do it? Yeah. And, and, and in our culture, life.
2: well, you guys, I mean, are just having this conversation is a step in the right direction because we grow up in a— very, very sexist, you know, oppressive culture that doesn't talk about anything in the home, you know, or in school, anything that's real, like abstinence education. I mean, all of this crazy stuff. Yeah, and so then when you actually get pregnant, I mean, I've had women who are smart women, smart, educated, you know, big jobbed women that asked me if they were going to have to poke holes in their nipples for the milk to come out. You know, so that, I mean, what a. what The a answer I, is no. Fucked up way to. To the answer, if anyone is curious, is no. Uh, I mean, you know, but, how did so you decide that, that you
1: wanted to do this, though? Because if you did grow up in this culture in this society where we have yeah. this oppression, like what made you decide and give you the the ownership over your body to, to, to do this?
2: You mean to do this meaning free birth or to
1: attend births? Oh, yeah, free like birth. Like when I was younger. like What made you want to make this your mission? Oh, girl,
2: if you saw— if you saw three hundred women be birth raped in ten years you would you would do it too like straight up mm-hmm. like it's you know I mean you you have when you see that much intentional female punishment and harm to babies and oh my God, I mean I had so much secondary trauma from the trauma that i that I witnessed on mm-hmm. a regular basis, and eventually it finally occurred to me that. I wasn't making a change and that I was accepting money essentially under a lie that I was going to somehow be able to protect this woman. And it's oh. just not true. It's just not true. And so then I finally realized after like 10 years of doing this, that what I was doing was unethical and that I really was enabling a system that I thought I was fighting against. Wow. Wow. And I was not increasing women's agency. I was not preventing abuse. I mean, the and then towards the end of it, the last couple years of it, I stopped going to hospital births and would only do home births, but then they were with regulated midwives and they were transferring for reasons that were unnecessary to protect the midwife's license, right. and then those were going on to be abused. And so I finally just had a, you know, a big— I went to the farm in Tennessee thinking oh, I was wow. going to find some answers there, and I totally didn't and just realized— What's the you in in Tennessee? Re- yeah, what
0: the farm is. Mm-hmm. It's, a,
2: it's an intentional community that popped up in the, um, I guess it was the se- early 80s, um, and the midwives there, the, the story goes that the midwives taught themselves how to midwife the, right. the people of the community there. Um, and Founded by a Ina May Gaskin, famous midwife,
0: right? hmm Oh, that's yeah. what you are about to and so, say.
2: Sorry. Yeah. And so that's, it's kind of, you know, that got really, that brought home birth back in a lot of ways, um, but really, Ina Mae Gaskin and that whole movement was um, still very medicalized. They were still, especially now, you know, since and at some point, I don't know when, they became licensed midwives. And so I went there to talk to them about it. And um, they're all totally wonderful. And, and, you know, they have an amazing story. But I left there realizing I cannot put any more energy into a system that is so... So fucking harmful. I mean, you've you've called all the
1: doctors, all the OBGs, men, and it makes me feel sort of angry towards female OBGs. um, Exactly. Because there are obviously OBGs of all genders. And so- Mm. Yes, um,
2: and all races, but but the reason I keep saying white man is that they're who started this, right. and they are at the top of the boards and the, de- you know, first of all, let's just be real. White men decide everything. They are our deciders. They are mm-hmm. our kings, right? Whether we like it or not, they make the decisions. They allow us to vote, or they allow mm-hmm. us to have uncensored photos on Instagram. Like, they are making the decisions. So, I just wonder, yes, like, do you feel like and- the
1: the women who are in obstetrics, are they just— Fall complicit and have fallen into the system.
2: I don't think you can be in that industry and not. Yeah. Wow. The whole the the entire industry literally is built on disruption and harm and playing the hero when it's not needed. Now, if they were only there, you know, if there was a model where, like in you know, Europe, there's tons of countries where the midwives attend normal birth. And then when there's a true pathology, you know, then an OB who is trained in pathology is going to step in and assist. Mm -hmm. Now, that's still not a perfect system. There's still a lot of abuse and disruption in that system as well. But kind
0: of the assumption, at least in America, is that birth is itself a pathology. Exactly. And what should we use OBGs for,
1: for, though? Like, I mean, obviously, I want to encourage myself and my clients and other people I know to make sure they get, you know— Healthcare and SCI screenings and checked for things that might need an OBG. But if, like, I don't want to necessarily support this system, like, how can people make sure that things are healthy down there, not around birth and self exam? Yeah, but can we also avoid yeah, exactly. OBGs I mean, in that way? Like, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't participate in that system at all. If I was gonna um, have, if I was going to seek assistance from someone to help me assess my body, I would go to a midwife.
1: For sure. I mean, what because about in terms here's of other, like pap smears or STI screening and things like that?
2: Yeah. I mean, STI screening, I would just go to Planned Parenthood.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, that's I, don't, so I mean, so non invasive. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: exactly. And and again, the bigger thing is that that is, you should use an OBGYN for anything that you want, you know, mm-hmm. and they are trained in pathology. So if I found a lump in my breast that concerned me um, and the midwife was like, uh, you should probably go, you know, do further testing, I would be open to that. Like they're there for extreme or, you know, pathological issues right. for sure. They're not, I guess the point I want to make is they are not trained in wellness. So if you are looking for a mm. wellness assessment, you know, you need to go to someone who knows what normal bodies are and what normal, well, nutrition-based health is like, which a midwife would be, you know, would be much more of a a better route than. Yeah. Um,
1: so can you, know, you walk a us through, puts, through, like, what a free birth
0: Well, I Well, yeah, I, like. I would love you to walk us through your free birth if you are comfortable with that. Yeah, like, what we But just can before we, have, we get into that, I just want to know how unique is this? Because you mentioned you went to the farm and even they're not really doing it. So are you like kind of a trailblazer in this space? Is nobody really fucking doing this, or at least not vocally? And they're kind of like, and and it's a very small community or is it more common than we think?
2: I think it's way more common than you think. It is not something that a lot of women talk about. And I have been, that's probably been my biggest surprise, actually, is I have been blown away by how many women contact me saying, oh, yeah, I've, I've had three unassisted births, or I'm planning my first, and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, every day, literally every day, tons of women are privately messaging me or emailing me um, or, you know, joining our group and saying, you know, I just had my first free birth, or I've had all 10 of my babies outside the system, Um it's, it's very much surprised me. And this isn't just in America. It's happening, you know, all over. But the, the main countries that are where I work with women are England, Australia, Canada, and, and America. So you think um, people aren't from talking over.
1: about it because they're afraid of the stigma? It's, and it
2: can be very dangerous. It's not, a, uh, it's not a small thing, you know, especially for women of color to, to dissent
0: publicly mm.
2: is a big deal. So CPS gets involved um, oh, fairly wow. regularly. You I mean Child with, Protective Services? Yeah.
0: Wow. With unassisted birth. I was oh, just, yeah, I yeah, was just yeah. clarifying. Yeah. Child yes.
2: Protective Services, yeah. So um, it's not a—and then also let's talk about, like, family and community support. You know, everyone's going to say, you're an idiot. You know, you don't—you're you, going to put your baby at risk. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden the woman yeah, feels stupid very small hippie. and is yeah. not going
0: to— Yeah, and it's not— I mean, we and these are not, the idea and of home births. All, Like, for me, for so long, I definitely, until I saw, I saw the business of being born my freshman year of college, which, if you're, I mean, it's obviously not a perfect documentary, but I think is really eye-opening in terms of some of the uh, abuse that goes on in in the system. Um, And that, like, totally changed my mind about the idea of home births or birthing centers. But before that, it was, like, hippies. Yeah, like, what a fucking weirdo. Especially my grandfather's no bee, like, I grew up knowing that, like, this is what you do. Like, you have your ultrasounds, right? And anyway, but so I would love, and I'm sure our listeners and Nicoletta would too, to hear your journey. Boy, of, yes, of I your asked the question. Birth. I want to know. I know. I just <laughs> want to. I think it's going to be. I know it's a. It's an exciting story, so I want to make sure we we covered everything else yeah. before.
2: And and before I dive into that, I just want to say to answer your previous question that no, I'm not like the one. Trailblazing in some ways. I think what is unique about what I'm doing at this time and place is that with the podcast, I'm sharing all of these personal narratives of women, you know, telling their free birth stories. And so other women can now access mm-hmm. and therefore normalize mm-hmm. their own choices. And so that's happening at a really big, at a really fast pace, which is awesome. And then there is there is a couple other organizations that um, very much support and center around autonomous childbirth, um, you know, and we're all kind of doing it in our own ways. So it's totally like a small, if we look at, you know, the globe, like it's a small percentage, but I think having 3,200 women, you know, in this group that all have intention or have free birth and in just a year of building this is kind of mind-blowing that mm-hmm. that many I mean yeah it's a tiny 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 amount really um but yes we're out there and and I think all that I've done that Small is kind of mighty. new mm-hmm. and it's spreading and, and that was also what I was going to say is that unfortunately but appropriately a big Reason that women are leaving the system and doing it on their own is because of their abuse and the trauma that they experienced from their hospital births. So, in my experience, the vast majority of women are not first time free birthers like I was. Mm -hmm. Um, There are those for sure, but unfortunately, and it's very sad. And I hope that, you know, through these conversations and through this all spreading, you know, women, if that is true for them, they can make this this um, decision before having to go have an unnecessary C-section and be traumatized and not be able to breastfeed and feel broken and feel like a failure and have postpartum depression and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, just all over, this is happening. And so a lot of women I work with that schedule private sessions with me, you know, their story is um, I can't go back because of the two years of night terrors that I've had because mm-hmm. of how I was treated. Mm-hmm. I can't go back. But I am so scared to birth again because in that hospital, I clearly needed an epidural. I had a hemorrhage. I needed a C-section. So how the hell am I going to not go back and stay safe? Mm. Because there's a lot of unworking, a lot of brainwashing, a lot of unlearning we have to do there and break those stories down um, and free her from those stories that were put in her um, little ear after the operation, you know. Yeah, oh, we're you really taught that we, like, birth. can't
1: do it. When I think of giving birth, I'm it's like, like yeah, fuck right? that. Like, <laughs> it seems yeah. so disgustingly,
0: horrifically, painfully impossible. Wow. Yeah, I definitely mm. 100% used to feel that way. I was like, I'm going to have a C-section. I want to be out. I want it to be done. And yeah, then, same. I mean, yeah, this has because, been since I was a freshman major, in college. Major I'm working this. So.
2: Abdominal and major abdominal surgery is, like, super chill to recover from. But
0: it's so interesting that we think <laughs> no. it's so much easier than, like, doing what our body was literally designed to do. Um, but now, I, through, I, like, learning about this and, like, knowing about your work, like, I don't really want a baby right now, but I really want to give birth. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're alone yeah. in that. I'm not. I am talking <laughs> about no, this. No, you're, you're not at In all. this group of me and you. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: But it definitely like is bringing up questions, and yeah, again, I would love to hear Your story. what the possibility yeah. is of what free birth can look like.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Like make me oh, makes we'll me want to give birth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, gosh, it's just the most beautiful thing. It's and not just the people coming out of people. Like, yes, that's cool for sure. It is amazing that a human can just exist all of a sudden that was incubating inside another body. Yes, but. The other piece to this that doesn't get talked about is the transformation that occurs in a woman when she births in her power. And that is not seen or talked about on any sort of mainstream level, Mm. but that's really fundamentally what this is about and what birth is about. And it is why it is so fucking oppressed. Because if women were going through this rite of passage and coming out of it feeling like a fucking warrior and feeling more in love with their body than they ever have.
1: Then that's and threatening feeling, for the white men.
2: Oh my God, it would fall. The patriarchy would dismantle. I am convinced. I am absolutely convinced, which is why I do this work. I'm it would with you on not that. be able, if every woman was coming out of their birth, or at least the vast majority, feeling powerful and not broken. You know, And, and unfortunately, when you leave a birth experience feeling like I wouldn't have made it if my doctor hadn't saved me. Or even more deeper that I think about all the time is the baby that grows up with the narrative, I couldn't get myself born. I needed to be pulled out. Hmm. I couldn't do it. Hmm. You know, there's some deep, deep shit there that we don't talk about you know and i really think it goes even deeper into training us all to be little warriors and to you know to be like bad warriors like prepared for war you know and be emotionally shut off and be um you know whatever that's a story for another day but so no, back people to people who can put um, the
1: effort in and 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 claw their way out of yeah. oppression and mm-hmm. difficult times.
0: Yeah, which is why I'm so excited to hear your so, journey because you were completely unassisted from the beginning, right? Yeah, like walk us through what decisions yeah. you get to make.
1: I mean, it sounds like all decisions, mm-hmm. but like from all conception some to, some point. to yeah. birth. Conception.
0: Like, yeah, let us deaf know about the conception. <laughs> from con- before conception yeah, to g- birth, I mean, birth. I'm, I'm going to give you a real play-by-play. Play. So I want to <laughs> know about the conception. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, basically, I aligned with that there was no way in hell I was going to let a licensed midwife potentially ruin my birth or abandon me. And so I really had to sit with that and realize that that meant... Kind of, a, kind of a scary idea at first, which meant I was going to do it without a midwife because I didn't know a traditional midwife. Um, and when I say traditional midwife, I mean someone who chooses not to have licensing so that she can really um, mm-hmm. stand with women and not with the state. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was going to do it on my own with my husband and whoever else I wound up wanting there. Um, and that came with a very intense you know, level of responsibility to sit with. And then it came with a gorgeous sense of freedom. And so we sat in this and talked about this, and I was digesting this before we conceived our baby. So we arranged our life to get ready for conception, and that involved leaving LA and moving out into nature, and my husband took a job, and I wanted to spend my pregnancy um, not in the city and really down-regulating my nervous system. Because as I said earlier, I also had over 10 years of witnessing trauma happening to women in pregnancy and birth hmm. that I needed to, you know, unravel and like let go of. Um, so when we got ready and I think, to oh, conceive, just to, to super, interrupt
1: you for a second, I think a lot of people don't think about how it affects a baby to have a high-stress pregnancy and that, you know, you, yeah. you can speak more to this, but that your cortisol levels and the hormones and things you're experiencing affect the baby. So you could be born into Hell this yeah. world anxious— Based on how the pregnancy was.
2: Well, and that goes back to women of color having premature babies and all of this. You know, the, the stress of experiencing racism on a daily basis mm-hmm. and from your healthcare provider it applies exactly to what you just yeah. said as well. Wow.
0: So, so you're out in anyways, nature. So,
2: so around in nature in Northern California, and we are Banging preparing. I I did a, yeah, I did a maiden voyage thing that, like, because I was so. Conscious and intentional about this whole thing, I really was like, I'm going to do this with my all. You know, I I want to look back on this and really feel like I um, followed what I felt was optimal for my heart, my spirit, and and my environment, and my marriage. So I went to India uh, with one of my best friends, and then Indonesia with our other best friend for like six weeks before we conceived to just. Kind of have my last, like, yeah, I called it my maiden voyage, which doesn't really make sense because a maiden voyage means a first, but I was thinking about it in the death of the maiden that comes when you become a mother. You know, there's three stages to womanhood. Um, Not everybody is a mother, literally, of course, but um, in this, it's maiden, mother, crone. And so I knew that my maidenhood was worth saying goodbye to and. I never really felt like I grieved it, but I definitely intentionally was like, I'm going to do everything I want to do before I get knocked up. And so going back to India was top of my list. So I went and did that and, um, then came back and we went, we kind of did like a light cleanse. We just didn't drink or smoke anything or, um, you know, just kind of like reined it in, um, and meditated. And he made a beautiful little altar for, um, for the baby and put it on our mantle. And um, we, you know, we did like ayahuasca ceremony to see in the spirit realms if there was. (laughs)
0: It's a natural thing. What'd you say? No, I was making a joke about reining it in and doing ayahuasca. But yes, it's
2: natural. (laughs) And we did that in about a month before we conceived just to kind of see if there was anything in the spirit realm to pick up on. And that was super epic because all my babies came to me and told me their names and, that was amazing, and then we did some other fun stuff, and we saw this shaman that we really trust, and we did a fun little ceremony with him, and um, it was really really cool, actually. Like he's, we all smoked from this pipe, and. Um, as he started saying this blessing and everything was really still. And then all of a sudden, as he started speaking the blessing, the wind started going and these birds came above the three of our heads and started literally flying around our head, like low with the wind. And you could just feel our children's spirits. It was really cool. So then he gave us like some fun homework, like that Johnny was supposed to make a rose bath for me, my fertile week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> and to you know, we got a candle that was just for the baby. And so before we would make love, we would talk to the baby and just kind of pray to her. And I knew who I knew it was her. I knew she specifically was coming and I already knew her name. So I just, you know, was like, okay, baby, we're ready for you. And our hearts are ready, our home is ready. And so now we're wow. you know, now we're bowing to your time. Like what it doesn't have to happen this month, but if you're ready, we're ready. And we would just talk it out loud and it totally felt silly. It wasn't like, you know, it was silly, but it was a really playful and felt so reverent and so lovely and connected. And um, it also allowed me to have a great release around, I didn't need to get pregnant on my time because I was, um, I was in this with my baby and I trusted my baby. I really trust my baby. I still trust my baby. And that will be a theme through my whole story. Um, I mean, can I interrupt you and ask
1: a question just because I know that um, Simone does a lot of stuff with, um, you know, abortion doula things. When I think of Mm -hmm. it that way and think of baby having a spirit, it feels more Mm -hmm. disturbing to think of an abortion because then I'm like, okay, (laughs) the baby came in and it's ready and it wants to be here. And then it's like, well, I don't. You know, yeah, it I feels more you. And, and murdery I do. when I think of it in the way that you're <laughs> describing. Um,
2: yeah, but connected with be your baby, very clear. Yeah, and to I would say that that experience of of my experiencing this mm-hmm. spirit that wanted to come in is not across the board. You know, that is not true. That is not how plenty of people experience pregnancies. Tons of women um, don't feel the baby spirit until. The baby's out of their body. You know, tons of women. I know I've walked with many women through abortions as well. And I know very religious women mm-hmm. who did feel the baby spirit um, and said, Thank you. I'm sorry I can't take you. And you can come back later. You know, and, and had yeah. a relationship with that spirit. Um, so I definitely don't want to say, because I don't even feel like it's true, that every pregnancy is a A spirit spirit. of a human. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think that a beginning pregnancy is a collection of cells that can either stay or not, you know, Mm -hmm. whether nature, um, allows that to stay or we intervene because that is what's right for us, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I don't think that that's like,
0: And I think um, also to to your point, Nicoletta, because I think you bring up a really interesting thing. Um, I feel like with what Emily's talking about, it's very much saying like, hey, we're ready for you, spirit, come in. And I don't think that necessarily all pregnancies, if you're not saying, hey, we're ready for you whenever you want, if you're not saying that, then it seems to me like then it it wouldn't happen. So like an accidental or unwanted pregnancy wouldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. have that Mm -hmm. spirit. That in my mind would just be like the cells before spirit. And how totally. did you? And how did you get your subject.
1: partner on board with this? Like, did you know he was down for um, that? <laughs> down for this kind of birth approach when you got together, or was this kind of figured out together?
2: I would have never married a man who wasn't a staunch feminist that had complete trust in me and in my choices around yeah. my own body. Mm-hmm. So there was never any getting him on board ever. Um, but rather, yeah, that's good. He, yeah, he trusts me, <laughs> and so when I invited him into this way of speaking and thinking and acting, he was like, "Hell yeah, this is amazing!" You know, he there was never, um, yeah, I never had to like navigate resistance because I, I wouldn't have married someone like that to mm. be just totally frank. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so, so then my first the came. The so baby. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So. It, we did all this fun stuff, and um, I do not think anyone, like, has to do any of this and all of that. It was just fun. Yeah, this is and, just your experience, um,
1: which sounds yeah, really powerful. And
2: it, exactly, and it was. And and so, you know, I've been practicing fertility awareness method for many, many, many years, so I had a very good idea of when I was fertile. And so in that, around those days, we made love every day and did all of our little rituals. Oh, and yeah. And it was actually kind of—yeah, and it was funny because— well, first of all, I will say that was some different sex. Like there, because think about it this way: until you want to call in a pregnancy, you're never able energetically to be completely open, mm. right? Because a part of us—and it's completely okay. It's not that we should be. We are a part of us when we're having sex, man or woman. Is like is how do I a not part get part of us? <laughs> is like don't do it. Don't go in there. You know, even though we're, we're doing <laughs> truth. Right? So. When I was younger, I this is how dorky I am about all of this. When I was in middle school, I used to tell my friends, because I knew about conscious conception my whole life for some reason. I don't know why. And I used to tell my friends, isn't the idea of conscious conception just so romantic? Because then when you are having sex— I know. This is so dorky. Your friends are like, it, who, like are who are you? are, you are we're not having. friends
0: anymore. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, we're, not, it's like, I'm not pretty, like, pretty, pretty like, much. And then I'm talking about— <laughs>
2: Yeah. And then I had no friends for the next 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> then I found the birth world. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I used to um, be really, I mean, I still am very into this idea of, yeah, just it's very simple, doing it with consciousness and with reverence and um, openness. And so um, I had been practicing fertility awareness methods, so I knew the deal. So, oh, that's what i was going to say is that the sex was really different. Because for the first time in either of our lives, we were having sex calling in this third person, you know, calling in with no, with no
1: guard whatsoever. I've what called in a third soever. person before. I don't think we're talking about the soul of a baby, <laughs> <laughs> not a fair menage enough. a I, it was
0: too hard of a joke not to say. <laughs> That's true. I
2: stand corrected. <laughs> uh, probably never a baby though. No, yeah. no. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> never. It's not that kind of podcast.
2: Yeah, exactly. So then, um, yeah, then I went through, I was temping. So I was keeping an eye on my temperature to see if it was going to, you know, stay ra- raised or if it was going to drop. And if it dropped, it would imply that I was going to get my cycle. And if it stayed raised, it would imply that I was pregnant. And so I just spent a magical couple weeks feeling that. And it was really cool when, so just to go there because it's a sex podcast. Yes. When he came inside of me, um, the time that I'm quite convinced is was the time. I had read somewhere that it takes around thirty to forty minutes for the the elected you know, sperm that's gonna be invited in by the egg. Um, that it takes about that time. So he had fallen asleep, classic, and I was <laughs> laying there. I was laying there and I was meditating with the baby and I had my hands on my womb and I was picturing this one little sperm that was going to be my you know part of my baby and I was picturing the baby traveling up and picturing my little egg that had dropped and I swear to fucking god I felt this little like explosion in my left ovary I swear it was so so weird and cool wow. and I woke him up and I, like, hit him awake, and I was like, dude, I just got pregnant. <laughs> and I did. That's and incredible. So, yeah, my, I know. It was so cool. I, I didn't know because I'm not a – Go ahead. No, please. Yeah, I'm just – I'm not, like, a super sensitive person. Like, some women can feel their egg drop and things like that. I, I've never had those kind of experiences, but I, I was – I totally felt this little explosion. And then I saw my implantation bleeding, and – I was trying really hard not to take a test because I had read in this anthropology book that taking a test is the first step to giving away your power, you know, to seek validation Mm. for your experience outside of your own experience. And so I was really adamant about, yeah, not taking a test because that had always stayed in my mind. But I had not accounted for going fucking crazy because I was dying
0: Emily, I'm so I'm grateful that you're like it explain like that. You're like you did this whole unassisted thing, and you're telling us like it's not fucking easy. Like we are coded. No, no, yeah, like coded. you so wanted programmed. to know. Like, am I pregnant? Let me pee on this stick.
2: Oh man, it was it was so much unlearning and very confronting, and it was not easy. Um, the physical pregnancy was quite easy, but the the stories that I had to sit with and sitting in the not knowing and unraveling this idea that an ultrasound would give me some peace of mind and that that is so not true, Mm -hmm. but that that you know, is the story I I was willing to do the work on and, mm-hmm. and unlearn. Um anyway, so yeah, so I got I got pregnant. It was awesome. And then I felt amazing for six weeks. And then I went down for the count for six weeks and felt, you know, the whole morning sickness thing, but it was all day sickness. But it was fine. I never threw up and I had created a life, you know, thankfully, where I could do that. And I wasn't attending births and my husband was handling the majority of our income. So I could just check out for six Weeks and stay in bed, so uh, that was all good and a part of the you know first rite of passage, and then um, at 12, 13 weeks, I almost drowned and in a river, and that was really the f- that was the first time where I was really confronted with that knee jerk reaction of, well, do I go to the hospital and get checked out? just that idea. Mm. And then we sat with it and I was like, well, okay, what would they do? What they would do is give me most likely at this stage, it's still a transvaginal ultrasound, Mm -hmm. which does not sound appealing. And it would all, all that they could really offer me is tell me, is there a heartbeat or not? And so I sat with it and was like, okay, well, what if there's not? Well, that's okay. That's okay. that's that's the, that is what it is. It, nothing would change with that having that knowledge today. Mm-hmm. My life would ultimately still be going, you know, on the same track. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I really that was kind of my, one of my biggest points of really sitting with this ingrained re- response of getting checked out, which really means in ultrasound to tell you there's a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And it, with my fetoscope, I would know with with a fetoscope that's not harmful. Um, you know, within a couple of weeks, I'd be able to hear the baby's heartbeat. So I, that was the first, one of the first times where I was like, do I trust that my body has intentionally created a womb and amniotic sac and baby that is the most protected part of my body? Yes. Mm. You know, and I didn't get jabbed. I, you know, I, I hit some rocks on the outside of my body, but I didn't get, um, like my stomach wasn't hit. And even if it had been. I Were mean, you like hit yourself you with rocks? Uh, well, I fell out of an inner tube on a whitewater river. Got it. And okay, I thought so, this was like a thing that yeah. you had done on purpose.
0: I thought you had like, <laughs> like taken a crystal runs. rock thing. Like, yeah, you were like, I'm not gonna get an amniocentesis, but I'm gonna hit some <laughs> rocks on my
2: belly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. That sounds counterintuitive.
0: <laughs> Sorry, but it Can sounds yeah. like you are willing nope. <laughs> to accept
1: that if there wasn't a heartbeat, that your body would expel the fetus and. That would oh, be yeah. the that would of just happen.
0: fine and normal. I mean, to sixty me, percent no, of
1: pregnancies end in miscarriage, especially first ones, right?
0: I don't know if there's like a necessary first one. I think oh, it's I
1: age.
2: I think it's more age related than yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't age. know
1: what's fact anymore or what's like the patriarchal right? OBG <laughs> myths. So I like shouldn't good. even say hey, anything.
2: You should write that line on your arm. <laughs> That's a really good, I good don't point. Have to question back, to to it anymore. Any face. Yeah. Um so so yeah, so that was kind of that was a good test and then after that, um I remember a couple weeks later, oh my gosh, yeah, I was just sitting in this not knowing and I was meditating and h- h- holding my womb and I hadn't felt any movement yet and I just was sitting with and especially cuz I I'm in abortion work and so and and miscarriage, you know, I I walk with many women who are experiencing loss at all stages of pregnancy and after birth. And so I could not stop tripping on this idea that my baby could have already passed, but I wouldn't know because sometimes the pregnancy doesn't release for many, many, many weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, I know women who have had unassisted, you know, free miscarriages and it's taken nine, 10 weeks. Yeah. So I was tripping out about just the 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 truth of that, that that is one thing, you know, the kind of the first beginning part of the what ifs and how to navigate the the what ifs that are very intense. And, you know, and the fear ultimately is what keeps people in the system. Because if we give away some of our autonomy and let someone else pretend like they can tell us what's going on with us, then maybe we don't have to be so afraid,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: and it's not really true. Because on the other side of sitting with that fear is complete freedom. Yeah. So, I sat with it and was just like, all right, well, fuck. This is the work. Like, this is it. This is a free pregnancy. This is the whole point for me. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, can have a different point. But for me, it was about doing the work. And so that was intense. And then eventually, a couple weeks later, I remember hearing her little heartbeat for the first time with our fetoscope. Yeah. And, you know, a couple weeks after that, I could, you know, feel little flutters and kicks. The quickening. And, um, yeah. So then it all became... Up until 36 weeks, it was easy breezy. They, I, I wasn't really heady about anything. It was just like, I can feel her. Um, I'm, you know, it feels like this baby that has come to me before and awesome and let's go have a free birth.
1: Why do and people so do the weeks then, thing? Why do people do weeks? Why not just say months? Like, I everyone, week to
0: week is so different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, the the I speed just find, at which it, it, I find grows. it interesting. Yeah, yeah. The speed at which it grows. Well,
2: I think it's. I think it's part of the obstetrical model. I mean, I know women, I just, I have a girlfriend in Hawaii who's free birthing her third baby and she doesn't even know when she's due. Like she knows the season. She is due sometime this summer because she doesn't do the weeks and she wasn't really paying attention. And she's a, she is choosing what I would call a very wild pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Weeks, because the weeks matter. If someone is charting you and is going to induce you and is going to um, want to intervene with your process, well, then you need to know the week instead of but, just letting um, it happen when it, it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's not like we've done that for that long. Um, I do it. I did it just because it was fun, really, and you know, for the stupid little like app that tells you what fruit your baby size is. It's totally not even real, <laughs> but it's cute and fun, whatever. Um, so anyway, so then. We had. I'd always wanted to have my baby in Hawaii. That was always something I knew. If I could pull it off, that that was my dream was to birth on Maui and recover and and figure out how to be you know a mom postpartum on Maui. And so, I, I've been going there my whole life. So I've, I've always been connected to that island. And um, so yeah, that was why Johnny had taken that job because he was going to make a lot of money so that we were going to be able to uh, finance a pretty expensive. Goal, yeah. And so mm. then uh, w- he he finished his job in November, and we went there in December and settled in and rented a little cute place and um, ex- finished the last two months of my pregnancy there. And which of course was completely freaking epic because we're like swimming in the ocean with turtles and dolphins and whales and like walking the beach every day. And um, yeah, and he didn't had, have to I work. Was and having
0: I, I was like living so vicariously through you through your Instagram posts. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, was super cool. Yeah, I mean, I just figured, and I know this is a
2: deeply privileged thing to say, but I'm going to say anyway, I figured that if I could create the perfect scenario to bring our baby in and start our family, why would I not? Mm -hmm. You know, it it, it is my highest priority. And that's not true for everybody, and that's fine. But for me, it was my highest priority. And I will say, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but it really paid off. You know, breastfeeding has been easy. My recovery was awesome. My body feels great. Johnny's crazy bonded to that kid. Like, all of it has paid off because we did the stuff that you yeah. know is you normal natural work. and intuitive. So yeah, pivoting to my my free birth, um it was a full moon, super blood full blue, like it was a crazy one of those lunar eclipses and uh it had started on a Sunday and it was all very textbook in the beginning. Um it was just my husband and I and um I got to think about how to say this all fast. So well, I did had two you, other did you birth keepers. A, um, at,
1: did you have a hospital on call just in case? No.
2: No, but that's not how hospitals work. You, you, A hospital is on call just in case. Just like, that's what emergency. ERs— Well, that's, that's what I, that's I meant. What like, you, were you are. close enough
1: to one to go to if you needed to?
2: Well, that's totally subjective. I was an hour away. Um, I would have been comfortable with five. I would mm-hmm. have been comfortable with, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So— you know, I, I had no concerns or fear of a of a complication. Like truly, I had no concerns or fear of that. It didn't. It just doesn't make sense to me that a healthy person, um, well supported, you know, that had a great pregnancy would then have some crazy life threatening. You know, it just mm-hmm. the, the the odds are so in our favor for mm-hmm. that to not happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, I had a, a very long labor. It was fifty two hours. Um, that was. You know, anybody that wants to hear the entire thing can listen to the two-part episode on my podcast. Yeah, um, because it's it's a pretty epic story. But it was 52 hours, and um, I was surprised by how psychedelic it was. Um, I was awake the entire time. You know, by hour 40, I was delirious. Yeah, but you know, there's magic in the exhaustion. There actually really is. There's, especially for heady women who have a harder time letting go, which I did apparently, there is definitely magic in getting so exhausted that you just fucking give in. And, you know, I've seen it a ton in birth. So it, it, it really took, one of my favorite lines is birth will decimate you. And I wasn't sure how birth was going to decimate me, but I knew it would because it does. And that's, it has to kill a part of you to birth, you know, this new part of you. And so, and I have seen that to be very, 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 very true when a woman is given, you know, the chance to have that experience. So yeah, it was really long and awesome. And um, I've got really heady about how long it was, which was my own big enemy that I created some drama around Mm -hmm. and by hour 48 or 9, I just had convinced myself that perhaps I was pushing on a swollen cervix mm. because I had been spontaneously pushing all day and all night and I could feel inside of me where her head was, but it wasn't moving. And so I just totally, it, it was part of my reworking from the systems that I've you know seen so many births in because in captivity, nobody lets you birth that long. Nobody says, oh, honey, some births are just long. That's not how it goes. You know, after 24, maybe 24, if you can get that far, um, they're going to augment you with Pitocin. Yeah. Yeah, They're going to start fluids. They're going to, you know, recommend an epidural so that you can rest because, oh, you're so tired, honey. Don't you want to lay down? I mean, they just start destructing your whole, you know, system. So, I really didn't have a reference point for a labor this long. And so, yeah, it was my big lesson. And at like hour 49 or something, I decided that I needed to go to the hospital to get a vaginal exam because I couldn't, I didn't know how to assess myself and I didn't have a midwife I could call because I was new to the island. So it was uh, really the worst possible thing I could think of to do. But I also knew that they would give me a, a an assessment of my yeah. cervix. So it was very humbling and and it, I just knew I needed to do it, but I, I do really want to make sure to say I actually did not need to do it and that was me in transition and you know, I went and I went in transition which means the very end of labor right before, you know, you start really pushing. And the very short version of this is I went in, they assessed me. They said, you're nine and a half. The baby's right there. Um, they, I asked them to push the rest of the cervix out of the way, which I did not need, but I wanted them to. And then when they wanted to deliver the baby, I chose to not be admitted. And I thanked the doctor and we hightailed it out of there and went back home. And I had the baby at home. Oh, my
1: yes. God. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's wild. And, literally at 11, yeah, literally it was, a 49th hour. I yeah, want to know like how that car ride home went.
2: You know, it was awesome. It was, it was amazing because I had felt when I was going to the hospital, like I had failed. Like I, it, you know, if, if it was swollen, I was maybe going to need an epidural to not push. Um, not from the pain. Like it, I, you know, I know you said this earlier about birth being such a scary concept to you, I, I want to let you know my experience and many women I work with's experience is they absolutely love their experience. And hard work doesn't necessarily equal suffering. You know, pain yeah. doesn't yeah. equal suffering. Yeah. You can experience pain and also feel like the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Yeah, you know, true. Like, all like all of I that can, can be that. true.
1: My last question yeah, before exa- we have to wrap up is, did you feel any pain? pleasure. There's people I know that have had orgasmic births Mm -hmm. and, and, or have made themselves orgasm to quicken the birth along. Like, did you experience any of that or no? Not at all. No,
2: (laughs) (laughs) no, it was, it was like raw primal. um, I mean, I would say I I experienced euphoria and, and ecstatic, you know, feelings, but Mm. nothing that felt um, like at some, at one point, cause it was long, my husband was like, you know, I could, I could like help you have an orgasm if you want. And I was like, literally the thought of that, I, I can't even, <laughs> I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be touched. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to be alone. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like food poisoning where you just kind of got to handle it. Like, you know, you'll be fine. You just got to handle it. Wow. Um, I mean, I think you, you made a good me.
1: point about the pain. I think we live in a culture where nobody wants to feel pain, whether that's emotional pain, Mm -hmm. physical pain. And so we try things to numb it and then we can't
0: actually exist
1: and face struggles when they come up. And so like you said, the idea that pain means you can't get through it, like you can.
0: Right. And that if you do this numbing, then you never experience vindication. Yeah. Yeah. That you can do it. Exactly.
2: And it can be painful and powerful. And that's, that's what, that's what it is. It's pain and power. And when those go together and when your hormonal blueprint is releasing all of the DMT and all of the juicy hormones and you get high as a kite, you know, and your loved ones are there and you feel safe, it's gorgeous. Like, it's a beautiful, profoundly spiritual experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy shit, Emily. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you sharing. so much for I sharing. want people
1: to be able to hear the entire— two-part thing. So yeah. can you just do some shout-outs of where people can find your podcast, can find your work, and if they're considering doing a free birth, you know, where can they look? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so freebirthsociety.com, uh, we're launching a new site this summer that's going to also have the Free Birth Society School, which our first course released in July is going to be a complete guide to how to birth outside the system. So that might interest somebody listening, you can check that out. And then... um and then my email is freebirthsociety at Gmail if you just want to check in. And then my podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud, and it's just free birth. Um and then what else? Yeah, you can join our group on Facebook, Freebirth Society Group. And then I'm on Instagram, Freebirth Society.
0: And check out some of the vids that Emily posts about birth. It really does make it a lot less scary. Like just seeing someone like moan in a kiddie pool and then just like watch a head emerging right? from someone's vagina yeah. is like not really, like shrieking. They're not shrieking. They're like low moans. It's really incredible. Yeah, anyway. Totally. I'm so well, grateful thanks that you took this. Thank you. so much this, for having me on. Yes, yeah, thank you so, so much. We're so grateful that you took the time to help us dispel this myth of birth as like a fucking horrible thing. Um, as always, if you uh-huh. want to keep up to date with what we're doing on Sluts and Scholars, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at slut Scholars, and you can email us at slutsandscholars at gmail.com.